Well, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. It is uh, good to be here with you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Pastor Kevin, and uh, glad to have you here worshiping with us uh, here at Restoration Church. I hope I'm not the first person to welcome you here. Uh, if we are, uh, if I am, uh, we've missed the point today. So uh, just, just kidding. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Glad to be worshiping with you today and uh, going to jump in. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how uh, the times that we've had great victories in our lives, uh, uh, whether they're physical victories or, or just great things that have happened, usually come because there was something, there was some preparation that went into it. And so I started thinking about my own life, and I started thinking about uh, that time, like 20 years ago, when I climbed Mount Hood. And I, I, I kind of think about this, and I'm like, this is one of my greatest physical feats of my lifetime. And I'm like, that's 20 years ago. I'm kind of like Uncle Rico, living in the past. Um, Ten points if you know that Uncle Rico reference. And I'm, I'm living in the past, but, but that's okay because when I climbed Mount Hood, this is what I remember. Before we could go and climb Mount Hood, uh, we had to go and learn how to use these things called ice axes. We had to put these, these metal claws in our shoes called uh, crampons. We had to learn how to, how, how to climb ice and how to deal with the ice as you're climbing a mountain. We had to go and learn how to be roped together because there are crevasses on the mountain. And so you had to be able to be tied in case somebody fell. You knew how to save them out of the, the hole. And, and so we had all this preparation that went into us going and actually climbing on Mount Hood. And I remember when I climbed to the top of Mount Hood, I was like, that's awesome. But it wasn't possible without the preparation that came before that. And then thinking, and you know, that's a physical feat. We can think about the physical feats that we've had. But also this happens just in life in general. I think about, I think about uh, marriage. You know, when I look at a couple that has a great marriage, it's not by accident. It's not by chance that a couple uh, grows together and stays married for a long time. There is preparation and work that goes into that marriage. There's two people saying, hey, we're going to compromise together. We're going to forgive each other. And not just forgive each other, we also have to remember to forget some things as well. We're going to have to sacrifice to one another. And these are the things that make a marriage great. And those are the things that make a marriage succeed. And so we think about these things that happened in our life, the times that we've stood strong. They aren't by accident. They require some preparation that goes into it. And the same thing happens in our faith. So we've been in this series for the last six weeks called Stand, and we're having this idea that we are to stand for our faith. We're supposed to stand out for our faith and, and, and have this public proclamation of, of what we stand for and what we believe in. And today we're going to kind of bring the series to a wrap uh, with a message we're going to call Stand Strong. Stand Strong. And today we're going to look at, at what are the principles that it takes for us to stand strong for our faith. Because just like all those times that we've stood strong physically, we've stood strong in our relationship, it will require that we have forethought. It will require that we make some decisions in advance. It will require that we put some work in, in order for us to stand strong in our faith. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel chapter 6. The book of Daniel chapter 6. I hope now in six weeks in the book of Daniel, uh, hopefully you're familiar with where Daniel 6 is. Maybe you left something in your Bible. Uh, if you didn't, uh, Daniel is uh, close to the middle of your Bible. Um, if you open the Bible and find the book of Psalms, this is a, a hang a right a few books and you'll find the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 6 is a very familiar story to many of you. 
Um, if, especially if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story um, of Daniel in the lion's den. You're like, this is a great kid's story. And, and we love these kids' stories. In fact, uh, this week as I studied this message, um, I actually pulled every one of my kids' uh, Bibles out. You know, the story Bibles. And, I, and I, I wanted to see what all the different story Bibles had to say about the story. Because this story is, is a known story to us. It's Daniel in the lion's den. Every kid knows this story. In fact... This may be the original hipster, like the original flannel graph, like flannel, like, like this is the original hipster right here, Daniel in the lion's den. So uh, today I'm going to ask you, though, to look at this story, not from a kid's perspective, but to look at the story from um, an adult perspective, like an adult story. Like this is the first time you're going to read uh, the story of, of Daniel and the lion's den because I think there's a lot of things that will apply not just to our kids, but that will apply to you and me as well. So Daniel chapter 6, before we get started, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for who you are today. God, I thank you for just being with our church in the last several weeks as we've had the chance to wrestle with what it looks like for us to stand for our faith. And God, I pray as we kind of bring this to um, a climax today, God, I pray that you would just help us to lean in. And God, give us fresh ears for a story that many of us know by heart, for a story that we've heard time and time again. God, give us fresh ears to see what it is you want us to hear today. That God, we would see this with, with, with adult eyes. That we would see, God, that you are speaking to us directly today. God, I pray that you would just allow your spirit to rest on us, that you would draw us a deeper in love with you today. God, we love you and praise you when we plead for your presence on us now. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, you can read in your Bible. If you have a phone, you can pull it up on your phone. We'll also have the words up on the screen behind me. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius... To set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account. So that the king might not suffer loss. So here in Daniel chapter 1, we have a, excuse me, Daniel chapter 6, we have a new king. The new king goes by the name of, of Daniel. And history says, Darius, his name was Darius, not Daniel. Uh, history says that Darius was an administrative genius in his time and his reign as king. And so when he's got a large, a large uh, uh, empire, how do you manage a large empire? You break it up. And so what Darius does is he breaks the empire up into 120 different regions. And he places satraps over each of these. You say, well, what's a satrap? Think of it like a governor. Okay? So you've got this king who's got this large empire, and he's got 120 regions, and he puts the governor ahead of every one of those regions. And then ahead of those regions, he places three uh, high officials, and we'll call them prime ministers. Okay? And this is Daniel and two other guys. They serve as kind of prime ministers over the entire kingdom. And what is, what is Daniel's role? What is the prime minister's role? Their role is to protect their region against rebellion. Uh, ensure that, that, that taxes are levied. Or ensure that uh, they're to guard the, the king's financial concerns. Basically, their job is to balance the budget. Like, doesn't that sound like a novice idea for us? Like, balancing a budget. Wouldn't that be nice? But this is, this is, this is what the king entasks Daniel and these other prime ministers, these high officials to do over these 120 uh, satraps throughout the kingdom. 
And it says in verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was with him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. See, if we remember a couple weeks ago, we had our annual celebration Sunday. We, we looked at how Jeremiah wrote, to the prof, Jeremiah wrote to the captives. Jeremiah wrote to Daniel and Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the captives. And remember what he said? He said, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the people around you. Here you are, you're in this non-Christian place. You are a captive, and you captives are supposed to uh, not forget your identity. Keep your identity, but then seek the benefit of those around you. And Daniel has taken this to heart. Daniel has served faithfully in all the places that God has placed him. When, when, when Daniel is brought into Babylon as a young uh, slave, man, he served faithfully in that. When Daniel went to, was forced to go to Babylon High to try and be inundated with everything Babylon, guess what he did? He did his best at that. Uh, when he was become a, became a slave in the king's house and became a servant in the king's house, Daniel sought to do good there and seek the benefit there. And, and when Daniel was placed ahead of all the wise men in Babylon, he sought to do good there. Everywhere he's gone, he has sought the welfare of the people around him. He's proven himself faithful. And this becomes a great day. Because the king recognizes, man, this Daniel, like, he's been faithful in all these areas. Like, he's done good. He sought our welfare. And so the king says, I'm going to promote you. I'm going to promote you to be second highest person in the kingdom next to me. Like, isn't that great? This should be a time of, of celebration. Like, what a great opportunity for Daniel to witness of the greatness of God being the second highest person in all the kingdom. Then the reality, in what should be a time of celebration... There's going to come some trouble. There's going to be some tension that brews right here. Because in verse 4, it says, Then the high officials, the other high officials, the other two, the other prime ministers, and the satraps, they sought to find uh, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. See, the other prime ministers, the other leaders, they said, you know what? We don't really like this idea that Daniel's going to be promoted above us. Now, we don't know who these other high officials are. Uh, maybe these were people that had served with Darius for, for years. And they're saying, hey, Darius, this isn't how it's supposed to work. Like, we've been with you all this time. And here you conquer Babylon and you inherit this, this kid Daniel. And you're going to make Daniel over. That's not how it's supposed to work. Like, we're supposed to be moving up into the positions of influence. Not this Daniel guy. And so, of course, what they did is they began to try and find dirt on Daniel. Let's try and find something about Daniel that would make the king not happy with Daniel. Let's try and, and, and throw dirt on Daniel to bring Daniel down. And this is what happens. When you, when you put some of the best minds that the world has to offer against a single individual, there's just no doubt. Like, weaknesses, flaws, problems are going to turn up in the head. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. You've got these, all this, these resources, all these people going against Daniel. Of course they're going to find dirt against him. I mean, I mean, how many of us would say we have skeletons in our closet? Like, if your hand isn't raised, uh, and I'm the only one that's got the hand raised right now. Like, we've got skeletons in our closet. Like, we all do. And so they're trying to say, hey, let's turn on Daniel. 
We don't want Daniel to be placed over us. So we're going to try and find some dirt. We're going to bring the skeletons out. That way Daniel becomes embarrassed and can no longer serve over us and be given this high position. Now see, what I think is, is important for us to understand, what I, what I love about this, looking at the story from an adult context, okay? Because if you read this, if you read this story in any of the children's Bibles, okay, Daniel is a teenage boy. In fact, I've got a couple of these Bibles. One of the Bibles I grabbed was uh, the preschooler's Bible. This is uh, probably the first, uh, uh, one of the first Bibles that we read to our kids. A preschooler Bible. Show that first picture up here. Um, Daniel looks like a 12-year-old with a goatee. Like, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, that's cute little Daniel. And that, he's got these nice little lions. All of them almost look like kitty cats. And we won't get into that. But that's what you see up there. Um, the other kid's Bible that we love the most is probably the Jesus Storybook Bible. Let's go show that second picture up. Jesus Storybook Bible. Daniel on the right um, uh, looks like a, a teenager maybe. I don't know. Maybe 20 years old. Somewhere around there. And you look at these stories and you see Daniel being this young man with, with, in the lion's den. But again, we have to understand the context of this. In Daniel chapter 6, this occurs at the end of Daniel's life. Now, the book of Daniel started in 605 B.C., Daniel chapter 1. And now in Daniel chapter 6, we're talking about 539 B.C. This is, this is 66 years later. Okay, Daniel's probably 80 years old. We're not talking about a little boy in the, in the lion's den. We're talking about grandpa in the lion's den. Like, literally, we're talking... We got another picture coming? We're talking grandpa in the lion's den here. Like, this is an old guy. I had some fun with that. Now, see, what is, intri- what is so fascinating about this, okay, is these high officials, they sought to find dirt on Daniel. And they could find none. Daniel has lived in Babylon for 66 years, okay? In 66 years, there's not a dime missing on Daniel's watch. There's no intern scandal from years ago. There's been no staff revolt. There's no long-term employees of Daniel saying, Oh, let me tell you about the early days. Let me tell you about how Daniel was long time ago. 66 years in Babylon. 80 years old. There is no moral or sexual or financial uh, concern that can be made against Daniel. There's no charges that can be brought against him. Do you understand, like, how remarkable that is? Like, how many of us would say, man, I'd love for, like, the last year that there'd be no skeletons that would come out, let alone 80 years? And this is, this is kind of one of the themes that we've talked about in this book of Daniel, that our values aren't what we claim. They're not what we believe. Our values are what we do. Your faith is not just what you believe. Your faith is not just going to church. Faith is a lifestyle. And Daniel has been in Babylon for 66 years. And he's saying, you know what? I've shown you my faith for 66 years. I've lived with integrity. I've lived with value. I have actually lived my faith out. This is the way it is supposed to be as Christians. That we are supposed to live a life that demands an answer. That our faith isn't what we do on Sundays our faith isn't a part-time position. Our faith isn't like, like something we pick up and carry for a little bit and put down and pick up later. 
Our faith isn't just a title that we claim. Our faith is a lifestyle that demands the world around us that we give an answer that can only be attributed to God. So, in fact, as we think about principles about standing strong, in fact, this is the first principle I want us to understand, is that if you're going to stand strong, when God raises you up, you can expect that people will begin to try and tear you down. This is what happens. When you stand strong for God, when, you, when, when God begins to raise you up, when God begins to use you, people will begin to tear you down. This is a leadership principle. This is a faith principle. And I don't know, I don't know how this is true in your life and how you've seen this play out. This may, be, this may be when you get a promotion at work, and instead of the people around you being happy for you, they become jealous or they become critical of you. This may, be, this may be when you get excited about your faith, excited about following after God, and you get passionate about God, and then an older, more mature Christian comes along and says, you know what? You're a Christian. You're not supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be miserable because it sucks trying to avoid sin, and, and that's what Christianity is all about is avoiding sin, to try and bring you down to their level. This is where maybe for you God speaks to you about a very specific way. I've got something very specific I want you to do in your life that is countercultural to the way everybody else lives. Maybe God's calling you to downsize. Instead of buying into the American idea of bigger and better and more, maybe God's calling you to downsize a little bit. Maybe God's calling you uh, as a wife to, to stay home instead of going to work, to stay home and, 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 and focus and care for your family. Maybe God's calling you to, to home educate your kids. God calls you to do something that may be unpopular. And when you do something that is unpopular, contrary to mainstream society, people begin to criticize you. They begin to tear you down. They begin to say, well, why are you doing that? You're foolish for doing that. And you begin to feel like when you start standing strong for God, the people around you begin to try and tear you down. This is my, one of the things my family likes to do we like to go to the Oregon coast. And one of the things on the Oregon coast, we love to go crabbing. And I don't know if you've ever been crabbing, but you take these big pots and you, and you throw them off the dock and you raise them up. And, and uh, the kids, they love all these crabs. And most of the crabs aren't big enough to keep, but we keep them in it. Well, we don't really keep them. We just play with them. And then the kids throw them back at the end, right? That's what, what we do. And what happens is you get, a, you get a bucket and you put all these crabs in the bucket. And if you try and pull one of those crabs out, you know what the other crabs do? They grab onto it. They're like, no way, we're not going to let you go. Like, if we're all stuck here, there's no way we're going to let you be free. And this is a principle in, 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 that happens in our faith. Is that, is that when we begin to stand strong, when, when God begins to use us, we can expect that people will begin to tear us down. Listen, this is, this is just a, a straight-up principle. If you aren't ready to face opposition... If you aren't ready to face hardship for your obedience to God, listen, you're not ready to be used by God. These things go hand in hand. And this is a little bit where I'm sitting up here and I'm saying, ouch, that hurts. But this is a, this is a principle you see throughout Scripture. It's something you see repeated. If you aren't willing to... to face opposition or hardship for your obedience to God, you aren't willing to be used by God. 
Listen, you shouldn't worry if you face opposition. You should worry when you aren't facing opposition. Because it doesn't mean maybe we aren't really doing much for our faith anyways. So the high officials, they can't find any dirt on Daniel. So it says in verse 5, it says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. See, this is what happens. When we live with integrity, when we, when we live the faith that we proclaim, we don't just proclaim faith, but we live that faith out. People can't charge us based on our integrity. So what they do is they charge us based on our faith. They charge us based on our convictions. This is when the world notices, hey, there's something different about these Christians. There's something different about them. And instead of acknowledging that we have a God who has changed us, they begin to label us and say, well, those Christians, they're, 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 they're those Christians who, who, who uh, think they're better than everybody else. They're the Christians who hate gays. They're the Christians who do this and that. And they begin to label you because of your faith and because of what your God stands for probably unfair accusations, but because they can't accuse us because of our integrity, they accuse us because of our faith. Have you seen this play out in your life? And so the plot really begins to thicken at this point. They can't find any dirt against Daniel, so they're going to turn to Daniel's faith and use his faith against him. Verse 6, it says, Then these high officials and the satraps, they came by agreement to the king and they said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the junction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Here's the law. They say, you know what? We know this Daniel. We know he he worships the one true God. We know he prays to the one true God. So king, here's what we think you should do. King, you're so great. We're going to kiss up to you. We're going to tell you how great you are. And then they're going to say, hey, you know, King, maybe it's an idea to unify the land. You know, you've got this new region you just conquered. Maybe you should unify the land. And for 30 days, like 30, like who cares? It's only 30 days. People can survive for 30 days on anything. For 30 days, king, they can pray to no one but you. And this will unify the land. And, and, and it'll be kind of be like, kind of strokes the king's ego. Like, like who wouldn't love to have 30 days of celebrating themselves? Like, I'd love to have 30 days of Kevin DeYette celebration. Like, that would be fun. Sounds great. And so it said that all the high officials, they came to the king. And I assume the king's got to think, well, this probably includes Daniel. They said all the high officials. So if Daniel's cool with this and it makes sense to me, the king signs into agreement. Okay, for the next 30 days. If anyone prays to anyone else other than me, they'll get thrown into the lion's den. And this is just a thought that I read as I read through this. I began to think, man, like if Christianity was outlawed today, like how many of us would actually be concerned for our lives? Like, like looking at the evidence of your life, like how many of us have enough evidence in our life to be convicted of being a Christian? 
ouch. Like that just hurts deep. Because I think we have these ideas, well, well, I believe that, but do I actually live it? Because remember, your faith is not what you believe, it's what you do. So there's the law. And it says when, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks to his God. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to underline this next phrase. It says, as he had done previously. Daniel went back to his house and he prayed as he had done previously. This wasn't something new that Daniel was going to do. This wasn't Daniel trying to, to, to oh, I'm going to do a, a protest. I'm protesting what the king did. This wasn't Daniel saying, I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it. So it's not Daniel going on, on Facebook saying, hashtag praying, hashtag I'm so spiritual, hashtag look at me. No. It says what he had done previously. Daniel had a habit three times of day in the same room with his windows open, praying towards homeland, praying towards God. See, I see this as, as understanding what we know about Daniel. We know in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel made a very specific decision in his heart. He predecided in his heart, I am not going to defile myself against God. He purposed in his heart. He made a decision, I'm going to obey God regardless. This is how, uh, this is how he lasts for 66 years of living with integrity in a non-Christian uh, societies, he made that decision, I'm going to obey God regardless. And here I think you'll see the second principle on how we stand strong. You stand, kneeling before God is what gives you the strength to stand strong before men. Kneeling before God is what gives you the strength to stand strong before men. See, think about, think about your life. When a, when a trial comes, when, when a hardship comes, when there's panic, what's the first thing you do? Oftentimes, the first thing you're going to do is panic, right? The crap hits the fan. Crap, what am I going to do? We should always turn to God in prayer at that moment. But honestly, what most of us, when, when that happens, when do we turn to prayer? Typically, we're going to turn to prayer after we've already um, used all of our other options, Right? We're going to try and manipulate things. We're going to try and control things. We're going to do everything within our power to make things work favorably for us. And then we'll say, well, now all we can do is pray because we've done everything else. But that's just the wrong attitude. We need to say, first and foremost, we can pray. Like we have the privilege of going to before the throne room of God to access the, the creator and the sustainer of our universe. Like, we have access to him. Like, shouldn't that be the first call we make instead of the last call? Like, we can have an audience with the one true God who cares about the very intimate details of our lives. This is the God who hears the cries of the humble when they cry out before him. This is the God who delights to, to move and interact in our lives on our behalf. That is our God. We have access to him through prayer. So why is prayer oftentimes the last thing we turn to? See, I'm convinced that here, Daniel, he has this, this confidence to, to stand strong before men. 
Because he's already had this predecided decision of I'm going to be intentional with my prayer time before God. I mean, he already predecided I'm not going to defile myself before God. And I would imagine that sometime, probably decades before we read this in Daniel chapter 6, that Daniel made a decision. You know what? I need to be in prayer with God. I probably need to pray three times a day. I probably need to pray in the morning for God's blessing on my day. And I probably need to pray midday just to remind God I still need him. I probably need to pray at night just to thank him for all he's done. I probably need to be in prayer three times a day. And I think Daniel at some point decided, you know what? Because I need God's strength and I need his guidance, I need his power, I need his comfort, I need his intimacy in my life. I imagine Daniel had this predecided decision. I'm going to be in prayer before God. Before Daniel 6 comes along, before Darius signs a decree, there's been a lifestyle of prayer from Daniel. Listen, I think that if you have not predecided, if you have not planned on how are you going to know God deeper, chances are it's not going to happen. Like if there is no plan for you to develop your prayer life, if there is no plan for you to, to grow deeper with God, then you're planning to fail. You've got to be intentional to, to have these plans in place. Now, i tell you, uh, th- this is how I've had to be intentional in my own life. See, I find, I find that if I don't have structure, man, I, I'm this free spirit guy. I'll just go with the flow and, and I'll let each day carry me from day to day and see where the day leads me. So I've got to have some structure. So I actually have a, a little journal that I, I print off uh, once a month. And in these journal, every day, there's a couple of very specific questions that asks me. It asks me, um, uh, what did I read today? What scripture did I read? I don't care how much I read, but it wants, and I have to answer that question. Like, what did I read? And there's an accountability. I've got to have something to read. And then it asks me, hey, what is, what is the thing I can praise God for? And what is the thing I need to ask God for his uh, involvement on my, my behalf? See, this is me trying to say, I need a plan for me to grow deeper with God, for me to have the intimacy. And because I realized this, I put a plan in place several years ago because this is what I know I need. If we don't have a plan, then we're planning to fail. So here's Daniel saying, you know what? (laughs) Kneeling before God is what gives him the strength to stand strong before men. He understands this. And I I want you to notice how Daniel prays. Because posture matters. Posture absolutely matters. Now, nowhere in Scripture are we commanded that we have to kneel before God. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to do that. But listen, if you've never knelt before God, you're missing one of the most powerful postures that you can ever be in before God. Because posture matters. This is why when we come into worship and we're singing these songs, for me, like when I get to the point of raising my hands like this, like this is me opening myself up to God. This is me saying, okay, God, I'm not going to be reserved. I'm not going to be stuck in myself. This is me opening up and saying, God, all right, I'm here. I'm yours. And this posture of kneeling before God includes this this incredible uh, sense of, of reverence, of humility, of dependence before God. And this is Daniel's posture before him. God, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to pray before you to remind you, to remind myself 
of my dependence upon you. In fact, I remember probably one of the most powerful moments I had at Madison House. I worked at Madison House for seven and a half years. And when I first was hired at Madison House, I was asked to go to a board meeting for the Union Gospel Mission. And I think they still do this nowadays. But I remember I got to this board meeting about 10 minutes early. And the guys are meeting inside, and there's, there's these windows all around the room. And I'm looking, and I'm seeing these men who are in their, some of them into their 60s, 70s, and 80s years old. Not all of them. Yeah, I've got to give you credit there. Not all of them. Some of these guys are spiritual giants. And these guys are on their hands and knees, laying out before God, pleading on the behalf of my ministry pleading on behalf of the Union Gospel Mission of, of Madison House, of Lost Creek Village. And I had the privilege of watching them for 10 minutes. And it's one of those things that has stuck with me for all these years of seeing these men pleading on my behalf. Many of them had just begun to get to know me. And it's just one of these things. Posture matters. And I would encourage you, find a time to just kneel before God and pray. Because it does something in your heart. It changes that perspective. Helps you to understand just how dependent we are upon him. So verse 11, it says, Daniel was caught in the act of praying. Those high officials, they came, they caught him in the act and they go to the king and they say, hey, king, hey, king, remember, remember that law that you set up a couple days ago? And the king's like, yeah, I remember the law. They say, well, remember, king, you said if anybody prays to any other god except for you, that you'd throw into the lion's den. King, do you remember that? Well, yes, I remember that. That was just a couple days ago, whatever. Well, king, does that law still stand? Well, yes, of course it does. I'm the king. What I say goes. So the, 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 the leaders say in verse 13, they say, hey, your man Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the law that you have signed, but he makes petition to his God three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, he realized he's been suckered. He's realized he's been tricked by these leaders. And the king was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's worried. He likes Daniel. Daniel's been a faithful guy. Daniel has been a good testimony uh, of, of God. And he's been faithful to the king. And the king's worried. He's like, I can't have this happen. But the king can't change his word. He's trapped by his own power. So it says in verse 14, then the king, when he heard these, or excuse me, verse 15, it says, then these men came by agreement to the king and said, king, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. King, there's nothing you can do about it. You've already said it. This is what has to happen. So verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought in and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. He said, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve on Sundays, well, whom you serve on most Sundays, may he deliver you. 
No, 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 he didn't say that. He said, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, whom you serve seven days a week, 24 hours a day, may that God, who you continually serve, may he deliver you. Again, Christianity isn't just a place of worship. Christianity isn't just a belief that you claim. It's a lifestyle that shows that we are a people living under a different law, a different God. How many of you know what happens next in this story? Most of us probably knows what happens next. Of course, we know that Daniel's going to survive. We know that, that Daniel's going to survive the night in the lion's den. And it kind of gives us this good feeling, you know, like if we follow God, like things will work out good for our lives. It kind of gives us this idea. In fact, there's this, this uh, feel-good story that's creeping into Christianity that if you follow Jesus, you won't suffer. If you follow Jesus, you won't deal with sickness. If you follow Jesus, you won't have financial problems in your life. And it makes Christianity sound really appealing. Like, like that's great. Like, I'd love to, to follow that kind of Christianity. I want that kind of God. But listen, when you look at the story, again, look at it from fresh perspective. Does Daniel know how it's going to play out? No, he doesn't. And I can just picture Daniel having all the what-ifs running through his mind. Man, what if God doesn't rescue me? What if the lions eat me? I mean, certainly we see times in the Bible that that happens. Certainly there are times in the Bible when guys like Stephen get stoned to death. When guys like Paul are are, are killed. See, at some point, every one of us in here, we're going to have an opportunity. If you're going to follow Christ, at some point, you're going to have to take a stand for God. At some point, you're going to have to. Some courageous stand. Your stand, it might be, uh, it could be taking a stand against some big world issue. It might be you taking a stand in your neighborhood for what's right. It might be you taking a stand for your kid and saying, you know what? You're going to play in a different soccer league because we're not going to be in a soccer league that causes us us to be gone uh, too many Sundays out of the year. This may be you taking a stand and say, I'm going to break up with my boyfriend because he's pressuring me to do things that I know would displease God. This might be you make a decision. I'm not going to do a business decision because I know that it lacks integrity. But if you are going to follow God, fully follow God, there's going to be a time in your life you're going to have to make a stand. And I'll just be honest, the what if questions are going to come. Well, what if? What if my kid doesn't play college soccer because they didn't play in the best league? What if, what if I don't get a new boyfriend? What if I lose my job? What if people start talking about me? Listen, I I can't promise you that if you take a stand that you will not face consequences. I can't promise you that people won't resist you. I cannot promise you that things will not go against you. I cannot not promise that you... Let me try that again. I cannot promise that if you take a stand for God, that you won't end up getting hurt. That you won't end up feeling worse off than when you started. But here's what I can promise you. 
This is the third principle about standing strong. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. Listen, Daniel had no clue the way this was going to play out. Daniel had no clue that for years and years and years and centuries to come, that he'd be a Sunday school story to be taught over and over again. Daniel had no clue that the story was going to end the way that he wanted it to end. All Daniel knew is that for 80 years, for 80 years of his life, God had been faithful to him. God had been faithful time and time again. He said, I know that God is faithful. That's all he knew. And Daniel decides, no matter what, because God has been faithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to him, period. No, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no, no how comes, no, this doesn't seem fair, no, no, I don't like this. No, just straight up. God, you've been faithful to me time and time and time and time and time again. And God, I'm going to be faithful to you. God's been faithful to me, and I'm going to be faithful to him. If he saves me, I'll trust him. And if he doesn't save me, I'll still trust him anyways. So here's what happens. Verse 17, he's placed in the cave, placed in the lion's den. They place a, a, a rock over the lion's den to keep him in there so there's no escaping. And it says the king, he's distressed all night long. He can't sleep because he's so worried for his friend Daniel. And in the morning, as soon as daylight comes, verse 19, it says the king runs out to meet him. And it says in verse 20, oh, Daniel, serving the living God, he comes running. Has your God, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, if I'm Daniel here, I'm going to wait just a few minutes and kind of play with him a little bit like, ah. But it says in verse 21, Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done you no harm. He's saying, King, I know what they said. I know they said, I don't pay attention to you. I know they said, I don't pay attention to your laws, but King, I've never done any wrong against you. Yes, there's a God I serve who's above my employer, but against you, King, I've been faithful to you. It says in verse 23, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him. And I want you to hear this. I want you to underline this in your Bible. No harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Did you hear that? Why was there no harm found on Daniel? Because he had trusted in his God. You see, when we do what's right, it frees us from trying to create a solution on our own. When we do what's right, it frees us to trust God with the results. Listen, I don't know where you're at in your life. But I know sometimes I hear this and I think, well, that sounds great. Like, that, that sounds wonderful. Like, like, like I want to trust God with the results of my life. I want to trust God with these things I'm dealing with. But I'm just... Like, I'm not sure right now. Like, I've got this, this specific thing in my life, this, this hardship. That I've got this, this situation, and I'm just, I'm just not sure. Like, I'm not sure God's got this. I'm not sure there's any way for God to, to do I've got it. I'm not sure I can trust God in this. Listen, trust does not mean blind acceptance. 
Because Daniel, he's looking back. He's thinking, you know what? God took care of me when I was taken as a captive, as a teenage boy. God took care of me when I uh, was in Babylon high and being indoctrinated with Babylonian culture. God took care of me when I made that decision that I'm not going to defile myself against God. And God allowed me to grow in, in strength and in wisdom and in stature when I was living on vegetables and water. And I was missing my good old red meat. He says, you know what? God has been faithful to me. He has helped me to build this relationship with the king while I was interpreting, interpreting dreams. He says, God has helped me serve in the king's palace. God has helped me become a prime minister. See, trust isn't blind acceptance. Trust is remembering God's faithfulness and believing that same faithfulness still exists for today. Like, I'm not sure who this speaks to today. But listen, whatever you are facing right now, Whatever scenario you have, are you trusting God with the results? Just think back about how God has been faithful to you. Think back about how God has shown up in your life time and time again. We said this last week. Think back to this. Do you recognize that you owe your life in your kingdom to God? How God has brought you through that hardship so many times ago. How that situation you face, you say, there's no way we're going to get out of this. And guess what? You're here today. Can you look back and see the faithfulness of God? And do you think that faithfulness continues to today? See, that's what trust is. And when we do what's right, <laughs> we can trust the results to God. Today, no matter what you are facing, God is faithful and you can trust him with those results. And the conclusion of the story is great. One of my favorites. Because these jerks had suckered the king, it says in verse 24, the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought in and they were cast into the den of lions. They and their children and their wives. I don't really like that idea. That doesn't sound very good to me. Ordered by the king. The king says, look, your life will affect others for good or for bad. And if you're going to live like this, you're going to be bent on destruction. King says, you're probably leading your family to the same way. You're leading your family in the same direction. And the king, who's a non-godly man, says, I'm going to get rid of all the corruption. Because it's not going to continue to run through your families. How you live your life has an effect on the people around you. And just in case you thought, well, maybe the lions, maybe they were like little kitty cats. Maybe they weren't really that hungry, and that's why they didn't eat Daniel. It says in verse, the end of verse 24, the lions overpowered them, and they broke all their bones in pieces. Oh, and I forgot a line. It says, and before they reached the bottom of the den, like this is... This, is, this, this ain't no PG movie here. This ain't no kid's story. Like before they reached the bottom of the den, those lions grabbed those people and devoured them. <laughs> the king issues a decree that everybody in the kingdom 
verse 26, Tremble and before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Listen, as we've had this opportunity to look at the life of Daniel, like I'm not sure about you, but I want to stand strong. I'm going to be one of those people that has a faith that lasts, that has a faith and a testimony that endures through trials and hardships and endures to the end. Listen, the only way that you and I can be and have a a faith that stands strong is if we are intentional, if we make a plan, if we make some decisions today. Listen, faced in this situation, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God for the results. So today, you and me, let's decide to stand strong in our faith, to stand strong in our life. We can stand strong because we have a God who has been faithful to us time and time again. We have a God who's been faithful to us in Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And because he's been faithful to us, we can stand up today and we can say, I will be faithful to you. So here's what I want to do. As we come to a close today, would you stand would you stand for your faith right now? Would you stand up with me? Say, so you know what? This is the kind of faith I want to have. A faith that stands strong. A faith that doesn't cower when the hardship comes. A faith that trusts God regardless. And you're standing and saying, well, well how do I know? How do I, how do I know I can trust God? Remember how great God has been in your life. Think back to his faithfulness time and time and time again. The times that God has showed you, hey, I'm here for you. You're not alone. I got this. That's what gives us the ability to stand strong today. And we can stand here because God has stood for us. Because he's been faithful to us.